Welcome, everyone, to It's a Wrap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features extraordinary people who do special things to enrich our lives and people who have overcome major challenges and adversities in their lives to come out on top. My guest today is Debbie Montgomery Johnson, a woman who was scammed out of over $1 million after meeting a man online. Debbie is a sophisticated businesswoman who ran two businesses, was a branch bank manager, and has a military intelligence background. She maintained a two-year relationship with her friend, Eric. The Better Business Bureau reports one out of seven online dating profiles are fake. The FBI Internet Complaint Department states that romance fraud was among the top three costly losses for consumers. The majority are, are women over 50 years old. States in which the most money is lost are New York, California, Arizona, Texas, and Florida. The scamming process is called catfishing, bottom feeders who create a false online profile to target potential victims they find on social media or dating apps. They feign romance to gain the victim's trust. In 2016, victims lost $220 million. The FDC reported $143 million was lost just last year to online scam romances. Only three to 5% of victims report the scam to federal authorities. The emotions after learning about being scammed range from mourning the loss of the person, depression and anxiety from losing all your money and for some suicide. There are 12 to 20 suicides a day due to romance scams. Debbie will discuss with us how this happened and how she overcame this adversity and has turned this negative event around to lead a useful, happy life going forward. Welcome Debbie to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Ron. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, we're glad to have you. So let's get a timeline. What was your life like uh, before your husband suddenly passed away in 2010? My life was great. I'd been married almost 26 years. I have four children, four grandchildren. And, you know, I was rocking along. I was working at the time uh, that Lou passed away. I was working at an elementary school as a treasurer, but I'd been a bank branch manager prior to that. Worked uh, multiple times uh, in different jobs, starting off as an Air Force officer, intel officer back in the Pentagon years ago, uh, and to being a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home mom for a while. And then I went back to work uh, when Lou was transferred over to Saudi uh, I guess he was going to Saudi Arabia, Bosnia. He was going to overseas. Uh, I went back to work so we could have insurance benefits, medical benefits for the right. family. And so that's, I've had a variety of careers prior to him passing. So after your husband passed away, uh, how did you come upon the Mormon website to meet friends? And what was the, uh, your motivation to do so? Okay, well, let me dispel something. It's not a Mormon dating site. It was called LDS Planet, which was a faith-based site, but it was not uh, run by the church. Okay. Uh, the church doesn't do that. Uh, I figured that I would go, when I was looking around, actually, I didn't want to start dating again. Uh, six months after Lou died, my friends were, were just all over me saying, you need a life. You've got to do something. I was working. I had to run my husband's company. I had my own job. I was doing a lot except uh, getting over him passing. It was, I was trying to be busy. And so my friend said, you've got to get a life. You've got to start dating. Well, because I didn't consider myself a drinker party or any of that kind of thing, it was difficult for me to try to figure out how I was going to get out there and meet people. My, my old men friends at church really were my buddies because they'd all lost their wives, but they were 85 years old. A little so, bit old. Yeah. yeah old, but <laughs> old. They were really comfortable and friends and they were, yeah. they were really good for me, but I could also say, guys, I've got to go home and I'm tired. Um, but when I went on to dating sites, I was looking for a place that would be safe. We yeah. have people that would have similar backgrounds, similar uh, faith-based things that people, again, it, for me, it was safety. It was security. It was something I could do from the security of my home. I, I called it kind of cyber stalking myself. I could look at profiles. And what I did find, though, which was interesting on all the dating sites, is that men over 50, 55 were not the kind of guys I was looking for, at least the pictures that I saw, because they were there in their wife beater t-shirts, you know what I mean, without the yeah. leads, and gotcha. uh, were hanging on motorcycles, and I didn't mind that part, but it, it, they couldn't write worth 
a fifth grader, you know, right word beans. And, just, uh, yeah, it just wasn't your type. It Got wasn't it. my type. My husband would, had been brilliant and, uh, and right. Air Force officer. And so I was looking for somebody to replace Lou. And I wasn't finding that until I was uh, contacted by an international businessman. His name was Dr. Eric Cole. And he presented well, he wrote well, he had family pictures, he had lost his wife. Um, again, the international aspect of it, I'd lived overseas before, it was kind of fun and challenging. Yeah. And uh, he was a really good looking fella. So I jumped in, I say, I put my toe in the water a little bit at a time, but yeah. when, when I realized that Eric had some substance behind him, at least that's what I thought, uh, I just thought, well, let's just, let's see where this goes. And, sure. Uh, it was fun. It was like you were 16 again. And, you know, I'd been married for such a long time. And then when, when Lou died, he died suddenly. And I, I don't think I ever really grieved that because I, I got thrown into being so busy. So when I met Eric and it was through the dating site, but within probably a week or two, two maybe two, we got through Thanksgiving and that was fun because here I thought the fellow was from the UK yeah. and I was spending Thanksgiving here with my parents and I was cooking, you know, the whole day we were online, I was telling him about Thanksgiving in America. And uh, then he actually was, he had a job in Houston. So he was in Houston at the time and was going to be going over to overseas to Malaysia. He uh, had, he was an international contractor for hardwood trees. I owned trees as investments, but he didn't know that, but it gave me a little bit of understanding of what he was doing. Sure. So when, when he left Houston to go over to Malaysia, he moved me off of the website, off the dating site to Yahoo Chat. I didn't know anything about Yahoo Chat at the time. And this was back in 2010, 2011. Right. And it was like instant messaging. I mean, it okay. was instant messaging uh, by, from your computer. And it was, it was incredible. He could, you know, I'd hear that ding, ding, ding of Yahoo chat in the middle of the night and I would burst out of bed and come in and we'd be online. Yeah. Typing. What I call chatting, we would actually be typing to each other for hours. And uh, I, I actually have all of the, the documentation. When, when we were chatting, I would copy and paste the chats into my online journal. And I have 4,000 pages of journal wow. from that experience. All documented. All yeah. documented. Five. I was thinking I was doing family history for the kids. Yeah. And so I have five printed volumes of family history of him. So it was really an extraordinary healing time for me. It was, it was almost therapy. And I've got friends who are therapists and they said they could have done it a lot cheaper. But so it was it, almost like a perfect storm situation. It was a perfect storm. And yeah. And he fed into it. And what I guess I've realized over the years is that because of the writing and, and the constant communication with him, I was able to get a lot of my grief feelings out. And I was able to tell him everything that I was going through with, with the company, the frustrations with my kids. And, and it was really fun. But it was, again, safe because I was here. He was not. I wasn't ready for someone physical to be here. Right. I could have used a hug, but I, I didn't want anybody in my life yet. So it was. That yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. Time. So um, his name was Eric. Now, was he the first person you met online? And what attributes, uh, you know, what was the main attribute that, attract, that attracted you to him? He was the first one that I actually communicated with more than a couple of days mm -hmm. uh, and what I liked about him is that he wrote well he presented well he uh, seemed to be well educated his profile was solid again I went into online dating thinking that everybody was transparent that they were honest that, that right that I saw were really them he he sent me pictures of his son of his dog of his sister uh, which was interesting also uh, he sent me pictures of where his home was and I was a in the Air Force, I was an imagery analyst. And so I had the ability to, you know, look at Google Maps and all these things and try to figure out where things are. And I was looking at pictures that he sent to me. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, does, does that look like could be his house? Could it be this and that? And so there's a lot of things that went through my brain when we were, when I was trying to sort of vet him, figured out who it was. But at that point in time, I don't think you can really do it objectively because you're so 
enthralled with this new adventure again and you know yeah. at 52 is really different than I didn't I I really didn't want to do it but I I figured it to get my friends off my back it was something I I wanted to try and when you get thrown into that get now you've got someone that's telling you that you're um that you're kind and that you're sweet and that you know it's too bad that what happened to your to your husband and your family but now you're accomplished, you're pretty, you're smart, all those things that you doubted going into it, you know, all those not enough things. Yeah. Not pretty enough, smart enough, all that. It was so ridiculous because, you know, we, I'd had such an accomplished life and I really felt better at 52 than I did at 16, but I, I've, I still doubted. I still doubt because anybody who's been married for more than a year realizes, or even a week realizes that you have your ups and downs and some things yeah. are better than others. And, and, you know, we'd had a lot of history for those 26 years. And so I needed to trust myself and I really did. My heart was feeling happy when Eric and I were communicating. Well, let me ask you, wh- yeah. what did you and Eric talk about? Oh my gosh, everything. Yeah. I mean, he was a widower and this is one thing going into the dating thing. I realized, or I felt that there was a difference between the guys that were divorced and the guys that were widowed. There was no baggage that comes with being a widow other than, you know, grief. Yeah. Uh, and so he had the same stories. He, his story was that his wife was killed in a car accident and that he was raising a son. His sister was helping him. She was in England taking care of his son while he was away traveling and so we talked about travel. We talked about companies. We talked about business plans of all things. I, I have a, a company myself. We talked about business a lot. We talked about what he was doing. And then many times it was, there was a hiccup. There was a customs issue, a tariff issue. There was something going on that he was having trouble with. So of course I would Google that to try to figure out what it was. I had some legal background and I wanted to make sure that, that uh, I understood what he was doing. And then I, some of the things that didn't sound completely right to me, uh, I chalked that up to, well, it's international. I've never done business in Malaysia. I don't know what it's like in India. You know, when I would yeah. Skype with him or there was no FaceTiming back then, uh, he said that he wasn't in a place where the internet connection was good enough. I lived in Europe. I had never lived in the Far East. So I trusted yeah. that what he was telling me. And it makes sense, you know. Yeah. So we talked about everything you can imagine 4,000 pages of journal yeah uh, everything from from the grief process to how did how did his wife pass away how did Lou die you know what was our what were our families like Uh, and it was interesting too because I got to know his sister or a person pretending to be his sister and I would ask Mary her name was Mary I would ask Mary questions about Eric and then I would ask Eric questions about Mary trying to figure out who is this family and how would I fit into the family Right. And I got to know his, his son, Kenny, and, and it was extraordinary. One night I, I had three Yahoo chat boxes open and I was typing between the three of them. Wow. And I typed pretty quickly. So, but, it, but I felt like I was, I believed I was talking to three different people and I might've been, but I thought it was a 10 year old, the way, the way he was talking and running around. And then I felt like I was talking to Mary as a woman and then and then eric would come on or eric's attorney would come on there were a whole lot of characters in this a lot of things going on did you make any plans to meet up in the united states we did actually uh we met early on october november and he was supposed to have been done by christmas so we made plans for him and the family to be here for the holidays uh we were going to go over and visit my mom and dad and i got to the point where i'd even gone down to the local hampton inn and made hotel reservations for mary and kenny and, and eric uh, and I, I never saw travel plans on his part. He just, you know, was telling me that he was going to finish up, finish up. Yeah. And, uh, that created a lot of up and down emotions because I, I, you know, I went through the, through the planning process and getting the rooms. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, I can't come. Something's come up. And so then I had to go cancel them. And it was this constant flip-flop, uh, but I still had hope. I had hope that he would finish up and get there. Did you uh, ever talk on the telephone? I know you said Skype wasn't available back then. We did a couple of times, uh, but again, he was presumably over in Malaysia and Hong Kong, and the, between the time change and the connectability, uh, when I talked to him, he did have a British accent, and that was really all I needed to, you know, have that play into the story. Right. He was in London, so it made sense that he had a British accent. 
So one of the terms to describe uh, what the perpetrator did is, is called gaslighting. And the scammers use anywhere from three to 16 people uh, to perpetuate the scam. And they work to change the victim's perception of reality. Now describe for us how he did this to you and how he created this family feeling. Well, it's, I find it very interesting. I've learned a lot over the years and I work for an organization that, that deals with what, who I call survivors. Uh, it's not necessarily the same person doing it. They work in groups. And so it could be multiple people. I, I, there was one time after the scam was revealed and I, I wished I had been a fly on the wall. I said, I really wanna know how they do this because it actually could be what used to be the um, called the Yahoo boys. Uh -huh. In my mind, it would conjure up, you know, a group of young men in a cafe somewhere on computers. Now they actually are university trained in Nigeria and they're in big call centers and they have extensive notes. So they're keeping track of, of who's who and who's what. And, uh, you know, not realizing that all those really lovely things that he was saying to me, my, my darling, my love, my wife, all those, he never had to use my name. And that's how they do it. They can uh, be talking to 200, 300, 1,000 people, and everybody thinks they're talking to them, but they never use your, your name because that would be a really good way to get caught. Yeah, they would get all confused. The wrong name. So when was, the first, when was the first time Eric asked for money or a loan and for what purpose? And did you suspect anything was strange about that? Actually, the very first time was just a small amount of money. And it was because we were trying to get one of his buddies onto the dating site and they were having trouble. This fellow was an engineer and he was out of the country also. And at that point, it was so new to me. And I, of course, I went into it totally believing that these guys were real. And I thought, well, heck, let's get another guy on. There's, you know, so many women on. Let's more men the merrier. And so I think I think the first was actually a check that I wrote out to the dating site that the guys wanted to be on, and it was under hundred dollars. And uh, it was physically a check that got sent. And it's kind of like when when scammers get you now, they'll they'll take out a dollar from your bank account to see if you notice it. It's to see if you'll if you'll play along, if you notice and whatever. And again, I thought I was bringing in a friend. And so I right. did that. Now, the next time uh, was more a substantial amount of money. It was actually the very first time that Eric and I had a little bit of a riff. Uh, I'm one of those damn Yankees that doesn't give money away freely except to family. And right. he, uh, he had had a, he was having some trouble with a power of attorney. And so at that point I'd gotten to know his attorney who was from London and they were setting up a power of attorney so that we could actually get money from Eric to me. We were going to set up bank accounts and stuff, or money was going to be put in an account overseas, and they needed to have my information. And so the power of attorney was, I think, $5,000, which Eric asked me to help out $2,500 the first time. And I questioned that because you know, as a paralegal years ago, it didn't cost that much to do a power of attorney. But I wasn't doing international power right. I'm thinking in my mind, okay, there's sure. be a reason why this was going to cost so much. And when he asked me to send it via Western Union, that's the first time I really got kind of an odd feeling because I was a former banker and I didn't really like Western Union. I didn't, it was always kind of the scuzzy way to send money. It's not, it's an international way to send money. So I did it. But looking back, obviously I wish I hadn't. Um, but there are many things and Western Union actually ended up being a, a legal settlement over this because they don't really question thoroughly where the money's going to. And if they did, then typically the person, me, uh, would say, well, it's going to my friend, it's going to my boyfriend, it's going to so-and-so. And, and at the time, I think the first one was over to Kuala Lumpur. And when it wasn't even going to Eric, it was going to a friend of his. I asked him, I said, why am I sending this money to him? And he said, because he lives here. He, he has an account. He's got the credentials. He can get it. And it's very easy for him to pick it up for me. Again, I trusted him. Why not? Yeah. I had no idea not to trust him at the time. And uh, so that's how we did it. And, so, so, they, so he had it, always had a, a good uh, answer for it. Always had a plausible it. reason for yeah. something. Did he promise to pay you back? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And that really came into play later on too, when, when he was asking me for large amounts of money, because I was going into my, my retirement accounts and I'm like, Eric, I have, I have to get this back within a certain period of time because I'm going to get penalties on it. Right. And, and not to worry, Deb, not to worry. Uh, and the one, the one, uh, transfer that I regretted until his past year, actually, uh, I got my mom and dad to help and I brought them in for a hundred thousand dollars. And this was a year and a half in where, I mean, Eric had been around for a year and a half and we were just at the end of what we thought would be the end of the, the uh, hangups with the job overseas. And uh, my mom and dad ended up giving me $100,000 and he promised we would pay it back, you know, with interest, with 10% interest or whatever it was at the time that they would be okay. And I never would have gotten them involved, obviously, if I thought there was something nefarious going on. So um that was the one thing I regretted when it, when it all fell apart was that I had gotten them involved. Now, it did bring us very close together and I was able to help buy them a home this year. So, oh, good. Yeah, I, and they're doing well. But and the, the uh, experience with my folks brought us really close together. They're the only ones that I could really talk to about what had happened after, after the fact. So out of all bad came some real good stuff. Right. So explain to us... Um, you know, the process, you were sending more and more money to Eric. Uh, so maybe you could just tell us briefly, how, how did you rationalize it? I rationalize it that at the time, he, uh, he was my family. He was going to be my family. We'd gotten really close. And I, like I said earlier, I would do almost anything for my family. So when he started asking me for money, it was more of a, let's work together. Let's, you know, he's got his business. I've got mine. He's going to come back home to me. We're going to be together. Everything will be fine. Let's just get him through the next thing. Uh, not realizing that there wasn't going to be an end to the next things. Uh, I just kept saying, you know, we'll get this one transfer, one transfer. And at, at some point, obviously, I, I, I must have had a gut feeling that, oh, you know, I, I don't have any more to give. I was so into it at that point. Yeah. You know, there's a break even part where if you walk away, you're like, oh my gosh, I've already given him this much money. I'm going to yeah. definitely lose that. If I just go one more time, one more time, right. maybe this will be it. And, okay. uh, and that's how I thought. And I, I guess I rationalized it because he was coming home and he, I, I didn't have any doubt that he was going to come home to me. Well, what were some of the big amounts of money that were transmitted and did the bank ever question this? And if so, uh, what did you do? Well, the big amounts, I mean, obviously there was, it went from 2,500 to 10,000 to 50,000. Um, and I had a company, so I was, I wasn't using company funds, but I, I could float money as things were coming in. And then I had, again, my personal uh, retirement funds and things like that. When I went to the bank, see, I was a former banker, so I knew my way around banking. Most people would probably not be as savvy as I was. And when I was getting close to my manager friends who would be doing the transactions, if anybody questioned it, I did actually skip to a different, different bank. Um, but they weren't really, and this is the one thing looking back on it, they weren't as co consumer protection oriented yeah. as I would like. Uh, and I understand that too. There's, there's privacies that you want to have as, as a, as a uh, banked client, but I, there's also protection. If, if anybody had really looked at my history of banking, they would see I had never made a wire transfer in my life. And then all of a sudden there were the, you know, $50,000 wires going to Hong Kong, going to Kuala Lumpur. And, and so that's the one thing and that I wish would be taken a little more seriously now by yeah. the banking situation. Um, and there's no, there's no trusted contact. Today, there are trusted contacts in financial services where if I open up an account at Fidelity or someplace else, they have to have a trusted contact. And that trusted contact could be a child or it could be you know, a parent or spouse or whoever. And if the company seems to think there might be a little bit of something sketchy or fraud going on, they will actually, they legally can contact that person and say, I think there's a problem here. Might really tick off the client but they may protect them in the end. That yeah. was not in place back then. And when I went to the bankers after the fact, they're like, well, sorry, you did it. You know, it's not our problem. Accounts are closed. So, so Debbie, there's a term uh, called confirmation bias, a tendency to look for reasons to believe the people we love. 
Uh, I would say that probably would apply in this situation. Absolutely, absolutely. Because he he had become my family. He had become my lifeline. Uh, and, and that's what they try to do. They isolate you two from your families. Now that at this point in time, my youngest was 15, 16, and he was the only one home. My other three kids were either in college or they're military pilots, they were in training. They were not around. I was working an internet business from my home because after about a year, I, I stopped working at the school. I needed to run my company. I was home alone and it was very easy for Eric to isolate me from other people to the point of, you know, don't listen to your friends who are telling you that this isn't gonna work out. They're just naysayers and they're jealous, just jealous. That's what happens. They will, they will get you to isolate from your family and friends and then they become your life. So, yeah, again, I, I had no reason not to trust him at the time, you know, looking Did you back tell on it now, that's silly, but that's, yeah. that's the way I felt then. Did you tell anybody you were borrowing money to Eric? And that if so, what? Money? Oh, no. So no, you didn't tell anybody? No. I mean, my mom and dad at the end, they found yeah. out, but no, no, no. When, when it started, sure. I had, I had my best friend saying, ah, don't, don't you dare. And then my <laughs> boys, you know, like mom, don't do, don't, don't, don't. That's all I heard was don't, don't, don't. And at that point I finally said, Hey guys, you know, I'm 52. I'm the adult here. Leave me alone. Yeah. And I stopped telling them. I, I never really, the only one who really knew was my accountant. <laughs> and, and <laughs> He kept thinking he bought into the story too. He's like, well, you know, when he gets here, sure, we're gonna get all this yeah. things for him. And and yeah, I mean, I'm sure that he probably thought maybe at the beginning something was funky, but after two years, who would figure it would go on for that long? Yeah. Well, how did you get how did you get all this money to send to Eric? It how was over you? time. Um, yeah. you know, but I had a business. I had I had and when I, you know. I was 52. I had retirement accounts. I had investments I could sell. I had gold jewelry at the time. Any any gold jewelry that you had that you weren't using, you you know, weren't ever going to keep. You'd, you'd sell it for from dollars. So yeah. I found it. I didn't have it sitting in the bank account. I found it, and that's what I want to tell everybody: is you don't, you may not have it, but if it's for your family and you want, you need to find it somehow. You do. You do yeah. find it. It's there. It's you'll find it. Yeah. What was the uh, the total amount loaned to Eric? Uh, it was one thousand. One thousand. I wish one million eighty thousand seven hundred sixty-two dollars. Yeah. And I have extensive documentation on yeah. every single transfer. It's amazing. So, what brought uh, this situation to a conclusion, and did you manage to salvage any money? Uh, no on the money part, but what brought it to a conclusion was on September 10th, 2012, Eric was online that morning and he, he started a conversation with how do you feel about forgiveness? And we'd had many spiritual discussions over those two years. And so I put on my spiritual hat and I started talking about it. And it's really, you know, put your heart where your money, where, you know, chart where your mouth is put your money where your mouth is and so for hours we talked about forgiveness and then we got disconnected and that wasn't unusual because he was you know in the far east and we got disconnected quite often he came back later that afternoon said deb you remember what we talked about this morning let's revisit and so we did briefly and then i finally said eric is there something that i've done wrong why are we talking about forgiveness and he said deb i have something to tell you and I, I need to know that you can forgive me for it because it's going to hurt you. And at that point, I'm thinking, well, you don't need to tell me. I don't really want to be hurt today. And he goes, I have a confession to make. And I had heard those words once before in my marriage, and they weren't happy words. Right. And at that point, I just felt this gut punch. And I'm thinking, okay, what's going on? And he goes, I have to tell you that this has all been a scam. And I'm thinking to myself you're lying something's wrong you must be sick uh how could this possibly be a scam i've you know been part of your family for two years and i said now you have to prove it to me you have to prove to me that you're not lying and at that point he said okay on yahoo chat there's a small camera that i'm going to walk you through because i i'd been asking about you know coming online live he goes i'm going to walk you through how to how to open up the camera on yahoo chat and i said okay and so visualize this i've dual screens on my in my office here and I'm looking at my handsome Brit on my screensaver and 
on Yahoo chat pops up this little camera. And now I'm looking at this dark haired, dark eyed, dark skinned young man with a huge smile on his face. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what has just happened here? And it wasn't my Eric from London. It was a young Joseph from Nigeria. And I actually, I, in an instant, and this was a godsend to me, my story was separated from my heart, from my head. You know, my logic kicked back in. I had my phone, my cell phone right beside me. I took a picture of that screen. So I do have one picture of the real guy. And I actually have written a book that's in my book. It's the only picture that I have of him. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, so how do I get him caught? How do we arrest him? How do we catch him? How do we stop him? How do we do whatever we can? But I didn't let on to that because you can imagine I'm so emotional. Sure. I mean, not showing him that. I never, yeah. I never showed that to him, but inside I was just a mess. I, and I really felt like it was worse than when my husband died. Because when Lou, Lou left here on a Wednesday and was traveling, Thursday morning, I got the call that from my oldest son that said, mom, dad just died. I didn't see him after Lou, after Lou left on Wednesday. I never saw him again. When Eric confessed like that, I'm thinking, what in the world has just happened to me? I'm part of it now. How can I get back my money? How can I stop this guy? And I kept it going. I kept in contact with him thinking, I've watched TV. I know what the FBI can do. You know, we can catch him. We can catch him. And so I let him think that I wasn't going to do anything because I really... I don't know. I was just so disappointed. Yeah. Uh, and just, I, I, like I said, I felt like the rug got pulled out from underneath. Oh, sure. This time I was part of it because I had contributed to the whole situation. Um, so that's, that's how I found out that it was a scam. He actually confessed. And I would tell you that 90%, 99% of scammers don't confess. Damn. So I asked him, I said, well, you know, why did you confess? That, and I'm honestly very grateful that he did. Because if he hadn't, I really would, I would have felt that he had died like Lou did, just gone away. Yeah. Um, he told me that he, he had to confess because he felt like he was developing feelings for me and he just couldn't do it anymore. And that might be part of the scam. I don't know. But you know what? That was something that I had to accept and be grateful for. Because like I said, if he had just ghosted me, completely disappeared, I'd still be out looking for him. Um, as well, at least it brought some closure to this thing. It was instant closure. Yeah. But it opened up a whole new can of worms. So did you report this to the authorities? And if so, what was their reaction? Very next day, I called my mom and dad that after this, this happened in the morning, I called mom and dad as soon as I hung up, you know, clicked off the computer with him. And uh, they came right over. And so together, we took my 4000 pages of journal and my three ring binder to the FBI here in town. And they listened. They were actually very kind about it, but they said, Deb, first off, more men get taken for over a million dollars in Palm Beach County than women, but wow. men will never tell. They'll never tell. And second, unless you can get them here to the United States, there's nothing we can do. And when I heard that, I'm thinking, well, shoot, you know, there's no way I'm going to get this guy over here. Um, I did have friends who were former Air Force pilots and they were ready to fly to Nigeria and get them along with my <laughs> brothers and my dad. Um, but at that point, I just, I, that's when I became the woman behind, behind the smile. I just put up a smile and figured there's nothing I can do. I'm not going to tell anybody what happened and I'm not going to get the money back. Um, I had basically resigned myself to the fact that that was one huge mistake. And I just hoped that I could financially recover. Yeah. So what prompted you to take the plunge and go public about this? and write the book, The Woman Behind the Smile. And how long was it after you knew the truth? It was probably a year after. I was actually, I, I buckled down on my, on my company and learning how to speak about my company. Uh, the company actually was Lou's company that he started. He had, was diabetic and had neuropathy and it was a vitamin supplement for his neuropathy. I didn't have that. So I had to figure out how to make the company mine because it was the way that the bills were gonna get paid. And I went to a speaker's uh, a speaker training 
with the Women's Prosperity Network. It's a women's group I'm involved with down in South Florida. And I went in thinking mm -hmm. I was going to speak about my company. I was going to learn more about presenting the supplements and how more be a better effective, you know, more effective president of a company. Yeah. And at lunch, the very first day, I was sitting down with a couple of friends and somebody mentioned online dating. And I, they tell me that I rolled my eyes at her. And she's like, what's that about? So I told her the story very quietly. There was just three of us at the table. And she looked at me and she said, you've got to tell your story. I'm like, oh, not on your life. And then another friend comes up who heard part of it. And she said, you have to tell the story because my mom lost $80,000 and will never tell. Wow. And I found out that another friend of mine had been in a relationship for a year and it turned out the man had a family somewhere else. She was never going to tell. So I get all these women telling me about these scam stories and they're like, Deb, you have to speak up. So over that weekend, instead of speaking about my business, I came up with a story at the end of the, at the end of the weekend, it was, I presented to them. I said, I'm inviting you all to the world premiere of the woman behind the smile. And it was a movie. And I told them what had happened and the room was dead silent. And they're like, when's it coming out? I said, I just made that up. They said, no, 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 you've got to do that. You've got to write your book. You've got to get this word out because too many people are being taken every day and yeah. no one talks about it. Like the statistics you gave at the very beginning. Yeah. One in 10 might say something, but they won't really tell you the truth. The numbers right. are phenomenal. I mean, the, the black I don't even know it's called the black web or whatever the the scammers are bringing in billions of dollars yeah the dark web the dark web the yeah. dark web and you know it is it is a huge huge problem around the world and covid and the pandemic has only gotten more people scammed the the scammers did not go on vacation they did not isolate yeah. they're out in a big way yeah. and so i came out because i wanted to prevent one person from being taken or I wanted to help one that had been taken learn how to recover because somehow I was able to get through it and actually started dating and I, I met the man I remarried and that's the happy part of this whole story is I have remarried and my husband was so is so supportive of what I'm doing because he realizes the more I talk about it the stronger I get yeah. and it gives other people the courage to come out and talk about what's going on because you'll never recover if you can't accept what happened and move forward from it and I, I wanted to dispel the the myth that people are uneducated that they're just you know lonely old bumpkins sitting somewhere that are getting taken it is very well educated well financed individuals men and women around the world that are being taken every single day you just happen to be at the perfect storm of either being widowed divorced something's happened that made you vulnerable but it more likely you have a really big heart and you just want to help someone out and so what what advice would you give to people that were scammed uh to overcome their despair find someone else that has been through it there we have a support group at scars which is a society of citizens against relationship scams you need to be able to feel safe talking to somebody about it you need to not be um, so, I mean, we're very vulnerable after it happens and you're vulnerable to what everybody says and thinks. And at some point, and this is, this was the hardest for me at the very beginning was when I spoke up about it, I would be looking out at the audience. And I remember one woman gave me what I called the stink eye. It was basically like, that was really stupid of you, Deb. I would never do that. And I'm thinking, I hope that it would never happen to you. But it could because 60% of us are going to be scammed. I mean, we're all going to get scammed by somebody in our lifetime. 60% yeah. of us get scammed by someone in our own family. Scammers like to ingratiate themselves and make them feel like they're your, they are your family. So that's how it is really easily that we're easily, we're easily taken. But I, I need people to know that it can happen to anybody. And it's not a relationship scam. It's not a, just an online dating scam. It is a game with friends scam. It is a, I have a woman in Vietnam that got taken on a translation app. You know, they are, they're on every social media, every gaming site, every, everything we do online. We become friends with so many people that we don't know who they are. 
And so I just want to tell people, be really careful that who you're, who you're talking to. I mean, it used to be that I would say, if you haven't met them in two weeks, if you haven't seen the whites of their eyes in two weeks, they're a scammer. But now I've got people that I've known that, you know, were engaged to people in person and they were conned out of. Yeah. Yeah. That can happen. Sure. Um, So you just online, particularly don't trust anybody. Don't friend request. I mean, they're very, uh, very good on, especially on Facebook, uh, trying to get into women's groups. They, they friend one person and now they're mutual friends with people. Be really careful. We don't need 5,000 friends. We're not going to talk to them anyway. Uh, on uh, LinkedIn, not as much, although there are business scams out there and you just, you just got to be careful. But the best thing, the one thing that we can do is clamp down our own privacy. Make sure your pictures are only available to your friends, not to the public. Um, I, I got blasted at the beginning with my, my, uh, my grandchildren. Uh, You know, we all like to brag about our grandchildren. My kids said, mom, we don't want the kids pictures out on Facebook. Don't put pictures of the kids anywhere. So I stopped. I'm like, okay, if you guys want to share the pictures, please do. The reason for that is in my story, there was a picture of a young boy. You know, he became the son of Eric. It was Kenny. Kenny was going to be part of my family. So Eric had sent me pictures of Kenny. He'd sent me pictures of Mary, his sister. He had built this whole story around these pictures that were stolen. And so here's the other side of the scam story. Beside the victim, survivors, as I call them, the other victim in this whole thing is the guy or the, or the girl whose pictures have been stolen. That's identity theft on their part. And sure. we don't think about that because if I, as a victim now, start looking for that fellow whose pictures were used, and then I start to go after him, now I'm a stalker. You know, so we're just perpetuating the whole victim. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. And the scammers are across the pond just laughing at all of us thinking, okay, we got good money. We can't do do anything to them. Yeah, well, we can't. But the other thing is the victims get scared that, you know, the scammer knows where I live. I'm like, he's in Nigeria. He's not coming over here. Are you kidding? So if that's the reason that you're not speaking up, it's not a good reason. Because if they do come here to the States, we can catch them. And I've got a couple of gals I work with out in Dallas and their scammers happen to get wrapped up in a, a BEC, which is business email compromise scam that happened in Dallas. And they're sitting in jail in Texas. Good. So that's rare. Uh, but the guys in, in Nigeria are getting, they're, they are getting wrapped up by the, by the judicial system uh, little by little. But unfortunately, now they're moving to Ghana. They're moving to India. They're, you know, they're all over the world. This is this is an international crisis. Yeah. And the reason it's not being, I feel, it's not being addressed significantly by law enforcement and by governments is because they don't know how big it really is because victims aren't speaking up. Right. And I don't want to be part of that problem. I want to be part of the solution. And, and you are. You are. So You're grateful abuse. for for podcasts and for folks like you because. We've got to get past the victim blaming and say, yeah. that was really stupid of you because we're all going to be in a situation at some point where we're going to be embarrassed by what we did. Just like to say, suck it up, buttercup. You know, I get kind of hard on that. And I just say, okay, we've got to just accept what we did, acknowledge it, learn from it because many victims are taken two, three, four times because they go into denial saying it didn't really happen or I trust so-and-so. The scammer goes away, but then comes back as somebody else, starts the whole process again, and then they get sucked right yeah. in. So we, we really got them. You know, it, it, here's the other thing. When I, when I speak to people, I, I don't want them to think that I'm saying you might be taken because they're the one, not, not me. What about your mother? What about your sister, your best friend? If you can stand up and speak up to protect them, then do it. Yeah. Okay. And God bless you. If it doesn't happen to you, it might. And then if it does happen to you, wouldn't you want somebody there sitting beside you that could hold your hand and say, it's okay. You can get through this one step at a time. Yeah. You brought it up before that so many times the victims are, you know, they are shunned by their families. They're shunned by their friends. They've lost all their money. They've lost their home. Now they're on the verge, if not, you know, of, of deep depression and it, it does move into into suicide. And yeah, and, and, and the suicide rate was, was astounding. It's a problem. Yeah. And it's not just 50 and above. The other age group that we're dealing with are 13 to 18-year-old young women. 
Wow. And they're looking for love in the wrong places and they have access to mom and dad's credit cards. Yeah. Wow. Tell us, tell us uh, what you are doing now to advocate for people uh, to know about online dating, uh, romance scamming, and tell us about your internet radio show, Defining Moments. Well, Defining Moments was actually, that was a Voice America show that I won out of a speak-off in California, the California Women's Conference a few years ago. That was an extraordinary experience. My show right now is called Stand Up and Speak Up. It's a Thursday live uh, teleseries where I actually, I'm talking to a fella that was the bridegroom of a Russian bride this week. Uh, But I've talked to uh, one of my favorite guests was Brett Johnson, not related at all. Brett was known as the internet godfather. He was the founder of the dark web. And I wanted to talk to him because he was on the other side of scamming. He was an original scammer and I wanted to find out how they did it. So the show is about people that have had extraordinary things happen in their lives. And, you know, they've either hit rock bottom and they've come back up or there's some, some uh, hope in their story. And that's, what's been fun for me to, to really learn about other people around the world. Uh, so that's on Thursdays and, and you can get to that show through my website, which is the woman behind the smile.com. I have replays of the show. I, you can sign up for the show. I think Ron, you've actually signed up for it. I did. It sounds, it sounds great. It's a fun show. Uh, the other thing, I, I am on the board of directors of SCARS, which again is a Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. We have ex- probably the largest resource library in the world for information about scam, scammers, scam victims. Um, there are pictures of scammers, but that's I don't feel that, that looking at scammer pictures is a, a very good use of my time. It's like looking at mug shots and yeah. psychologically that's not good for you. But SCARS is an international society. We, we have support groups for, for people that want to get involved uh, just to help them get across, across the recovery bridge. And we also, we work with law enforcement, Department of Justice, Homeland Security. We're trying to, you know, go on a national level to go after the money because we're not going to stop the scammers individually, but we can stop the money going into Nigeria and Ghana and that kind of stuff. So. And now is that SCARS, is, is that like, scars.org no it's actually romancescamsnow.com is the the website for uh all of the information it's also against scams.org uh any scams.com there's a whole variety of things but if you go to romance scams now uh, it's the first place that victims should go the first thing we want them to do is to report it and we have a great three steps for new victims uh, on how to how to proceed because typically that's the hardest thing is you know you've been scammed and you go now what do i do yeah and there's yeah. that void because you can imagine you know you've been talking to a scammer for six months a year sure. or two years they've become your life and all yeah. of a sudden that void is gone and if you don't fill it with really good stuff you become very bitter and that's what we try to keep people prevent them from from just going down that rabbit hole after the scam what are you most excited about going forward in your advocacy? What gets me ginned up is when I get a thank you note from someone saying, I read your book. Thank you so much for speaking up. I wish I had read it before, before I got into dating. So what I, what I wish is that more people would listen to what we're saying. More people would take, be, beware and be aware. That's what I really like to say. Um, you know, if someone asks you for money, absolutely no, you don't send it. You know, it's uh, be like giving money to somebody on the side of the street you didn't know. Uh, if somebody, it's not even money now, it's, it's gift cards. It is, it is little, you know, I had someone contact me today. It was actually a friend of mine he was with the NFL. He was with a, he's coaching a young boy and he goes, I think this kid's mom got scammed and she got on the phone and she was telling me st- she had, she had befriended someone uh, in, a, in a gaming site it was a words a word game scrabble game or something and she goes deb we were just playing games i'm like just be careful you know unless you see that person in person yeah treat them all like they're they're not real because yeah. they're probably not real debbie tell us about your new married life i love being married Here's the trick, girls and guys, you know, because after a scam, it's so easy to just close off your heart and just say to heck with everybody. 
and and I have a friend who got who was on a potential scam victim, and I was able to point out to her that the guy's picture was a scam, and she said, "I will never get married again." And I'm thinking, if you say that, it will come true. Famous last words. Absolutely, Fam and my famous last words were, you know, just go for it. Even falling in love again, you're gonna get hurt. Falling in love is a beautiful thing, but it, you take a chance of getting hurt in person too. But if you don't take the chance, you'll never fall in love again. And I love being married the second time around. I mean, first marriage was good. This time around, I'm at a different age. I don't have kids at home. You know, we built our companies and we sit and watch Netflix together and hold hands. It is phenomenal. He's, he's a darling. Awesome. Debbie, where can people contact you? My website again is thewomanbehindthesmile.com. And if this is really important to me. If someone has been a victim or is, there's a family member of a victim, they need to reach out to me. Please write to me at Debbie, D-E-B-B-Y, at thewomanbehindasmile.com. I do respond to everybody that writes to me. And I'm very careful. <laughs> I need to make sure who you are. I, the other day I got an email from a fella in India, and I, my IT team is in India, but this guy was, you know, talking about being scammed in India. And so I sent it to my guys and I said, please check this out because I obviously can't afford to spend time with scammers, but victims and family members, I will most definitely, you know, contact you myself and then we'll get you into the SCAR support system. Debbie, I will post your contact links on the podcast page. Thank you. Everything that happens to us uh, helps us grow. While it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Debbie is dedicated to encouraging people victimized to remove the mask of embarrassment and shame and put an end to victimization. She encourages people to stand up and become the victor, not the victim. Thank you, Debbie, for sharing your story. I'm so glad uh, that you chose to overcome your adversities and move on with your life. Others in the same situation are not as fortunate. We all applaud, applaud your advocacy work and helping others in this situation. God bless you and continue good fortune. Uh, we want to hear from our audience, our listeners. If you have any comments and suggestions to better the podcast, you can go to uh, our website. It's a wrapwithwrap.com, which also has a guest blog page. Uh, Facebook, it's, it's a wrap with wrap. And email, it's a wrap with wrap at gmail.com. Thanks everyone for listening. Stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap.